Uh, so welcome back for part two of uh, episode two of the Fencing Podcast. Um, so what we're going to do now is going to have a quick look at what we're what we're looking forward to for the for the coming for the coming season. But before we do that, um, a very quick mention of the the world's veterans yes. or world senior plus or whatever their title is now. Basically, basically <laughs> world championships for uh, over fifties um, happening in Germany in well just over just over a week's time from when we're recording. So I, I think it's the. 10th of October that that, that starts. Okay. Um, there, there will be live streaming on YouTube, so if you're you're wanting to catch a bit of the, the world's mm-hmm. world veterans, you'll be able to track that down. Veterans fans, again, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I think I'd like to see, I think more people would watch if we were to get some of the greats, the big fencing greats who are in the right age bracket to turn out and actually compete, and I think it would be amazing to see. Like, you know, like in the in tennis, we've got the, the Masters tournament yeah. series, where they, they get the older guys out who the big greats from way back when, you know, they get them out, and that's always really entertaining to watch. And I think it would be good to see some of the some of the guys who kind of avoid the the veteran fencing scene to actually give it a go. Yeah, uh, I think it'd be really interesting and fascinating to see that. Really, yeah, I agree. I mean, the veteran fencing, I mean, standard at the sort of business end of it, so it's really pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; it, it does lack some of that uh, superstar quality. Yeah. that you know, having names that people would would recognise from being yeah. stars of the past. Uh, competing, so mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean, lots of different reasons why why that hasn't happened so far. You know, veterans fencing has been growing, and yeah. but, but I suppose I suppose the sort of path for fencers when they retire is rather than sort of continuing to compete in in veterans mm-hmm. events is is to move into coaching. Yes, uh, and that's that's much more common. So yeah. a, a lot of your your previous superstars are now superstar coaches instead, yes, rather than continuing to to compete. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. And uh, as I say, um, for for well, people of of my vintage, I'm you know <laughs> creeping towards fifty as slowly as I possibly can. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm never never entirely sure about veterans fencing. It's not it's not for everyone. But uh, yeah, the world uh, championships will be interesting. Yeah, I mean there are some there will be some good fencing on the show, so it's yeah. definitely worth checking out. I just I just wish it would be you know. Like, you know, some of the guys I'd really love to see fencing again. They're not quite fifty yet, yeah. but it'd be really good if those guys would uh, would sort of join in and yeah. see what it'd be like. I think that'd be great. Anyway, never mind. Anyway, so um, almost to to what we're looking forward to for the the start of the senior World Cup season. Yes. So, well, what I'm looking forward to is the, is the usual thing in the the first season after the Olympic Games is um, what what changes and what what stays the same. Who who emerges from a mm. from an Olympic Games suddenly thrust into limelight? So you can think wow. of guys like Garozzo, as we mentioned, having. Yes. Having won one in Rio, having not previously won a, a, a senior event, uh, whether he he goes on to to reinforce that and you know push on to become a a star. Um, He's always been there or thereabouts of for Garot. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a complete yeah. surprise that he won. Um, but it's probably more striking one was um, it was, Park. It was Park winning the men's epi. Uh, only twenty years old. Got to think that Park is going to be kicking around at somewhere near the top of the table this year. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, he was impressive in in real. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, to be fair, uh, men's epi does throw up more surprise results. I mean, you have there is sort of previous with people winning winning Olympic gold. And then not really doing that's true much again. I mean, the, the example that I, can, I think of uh, was the the Russian that won uh, the 1996 Olympics uh, in Atlanta, <laughs> uh, a guy called Sergei Beketov. All right. um, beat uh, Kolbkov in the final. Uh, looked absolutely amazing and really never did anything again. I, I was not I, I, did, I did a few. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I did a few. Um, Epi, Epi World Cup round about that time and I was in Barcelona getting the bus from the from the hotel that most of the fences were staying at to the venue and Beketov was sitting in the back of the bus 
looking about ten kilos heavier than he was when uh, when he won the Olympics and looked like he'd he'd dined out well and often on being Olympic champion. Oh well, <laughs> uh, and then Julie sort of bombed it in the last sixty-four. So part of me either going to be a superstar or you know his his day in Rio maybe the uh, the beginning and end of, of, well, of fencing superstar. But I, I hope he goes on to yeah to be yeah. the the real deal. Here, here's the thing though I I think with the way that the Koreans work they've got a massive work ethic a really really good work ethic they work hard everything everything is stripped down and really efficient I think. And I like the way that the Koreans fence. I just can't see Park. He, he might. He, this might be him flaring and blowing out. That's true, but I just can't see it happening. He's twenty. Yeah, you know, so I just yeah. can't see it happening. Definitely a, a yeah, a, a very a high a high. Obviously, with winning an Olympic gold, but you know, just a, a yeah. part of a continuous upward curve for for him. Yeah, I, we're gonna be keep, we're gonna keep an eye out for Park. Yeah, I think I think he's definitely one that we'll be keeping an eye out this year. Yeah. And the other thing I suppose we we'll look for is um, of the of the established stars um, who who pushes on. Who's uh, you know we've we've mentioned a, a couple of retirements in, That's right. in part one. Um, good chance that maybe maybe more that just you know we've not become aware of mm-hmm. yet. Um, and it'll be interesting to see in the early part of the season who's having a bit of time out, who's uh, perhaps called it a day altogether, and to see a kind of a, a, a new order emerging in the early part of the season. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, just a, just a few fences, I think, you know, like Baldini, for example. Hmm. I, I can't see Baldini sticking it through for another Olympics. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, but yeah, he's a great fencer and I want him to, you know what I mean? I really want him to and I just can't, at the yeah. moment, I just can't see it. But the thing is that Baldini's not particularly ancient, he's only 30. True. Um, he did have a, a horrible time in the in the bronze medal match uh, against USA, Uh Shipped a whole load of hits in the, in the middle of the match to to turn an Italian lead into a a, a deficit against the USA. Yeah. Um, and if if you're in doubt about you know your your future involvement in in high level sport and you're humming and hawing about it, that kind of moment's going to have a, a bit of an impact yeah. in your thinking. And it's interesting to note that looking at the entries, uh, okay, it's, it's still a bit of time before the actual events themselves. That um, Baldini is not listed for the no. uh, for the Italian entrance for the for the first no. World Cup of the season in Cairo. Um, so that'll be interesting. The other thing to note about that is that uh, the the American team that fenced uh, in men's foil at uh, at Rio. Um, none of them are going to Cairo. Uh, three American entries. None, none of them were uh, the the regulars. So you think it take a t- some time out? Yeah, I, I suspect so. Mm-hmm. And I think there'll be varying approaches um, from from different countries and how they how they treat the start of the season at the beginning of an Olympic cycle. Yeah. Where some guys take uh, elect time take time off uh, individually, or whether there, as seems to be the case with the the Americans and men's mm-hmm. foil, is for for all of them to give the, the first one of the season a bit of a miss and mm-hmm. uh, uh, get going again later later on in the season. Um, it's difficult, and it's a, as I say, it seems to be a. A team decision for for that one, but there'll, there'll be others where perhaps you see people missing for the first event or two, and then appear later in the mm-hmm. season. I, I, as we were saying in the in the junior events, it's, it's early doors. We just don't know yet exactly how it's all shaking out. Yeah. I'm speculating Baldini's going, but you know, it, it's all it is is just speculation. Yeah. Uh, well, but is there anybody else we want to be thinking about at the moment? What about in women's foil? Um, well. Uh, good to see that uh, Ariana Rigo, the as we mentioned, the, the dominant force in women's foil, mm-hmm. had a had a disappointing result in in Rio, but she's straight back to business. She's um, yep. not hanging around. She's off to Cancun for the the, the season opener, the first World, senior World Cup of the season uh, for for women's foil, mm-hmm. and uh, it looks like straight back to business for yep. her. Yep, yep. Well, it would be. 
yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, an exciting time beginning of beginning of the season in the first season after the Olympic yeah. Games. Well, I'm kind of rubbing my hands. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, rubbing my hands, just great radio, but I'm kind of rubbing my hands over that. Yeah. <laughs> now, as people people pointed out um, in. After our first, uh, our first podcast, our, our in-depth knowledge of Sabre is really not at all in-depth. No. So, um, we have kind of addressed that, uh, not by suddenly transforming ourselves into, into Sabre no. experts, but rather by getting some expert opinion from yes. somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, so I got in touch with, uh, John Southfield, mm-hmm. um, uh, British Sabre coach, head coach at, uh, the, the very successful Truro Fencing Club. Sabre coach to the, the Brazilian, Brazilian women's Sabre team in Rio. Yes. Um, uh, and I, I got in touch with him and we, we chatted about, well, rule changes in Sabre, a mm-hmm. couple of big things happening there. Yep. And who we should be looking out for in the, in the coming season in, in both men's and women's Sabre. And, uh, this is what John had to say. So, John, thank you very much indeed for, uh, for joining us, um, coming to our help by, uh, offering a, an expert Sabre opinion, something that neither clearly, uh, Gav or I actually have. Um, so. It's good to be here. Thank you. Ah, well, delighted to have you here. Um, so, first thing I want to ask you about is uh, the, the new Sabre rules that have been introduced um, immediately after Rio. Uh, so, first of all, can you tell us um, what they are? I'll, I'll endeavour to do so, yes. Um, there are two major changes, um, and I'll, I'll take them separately because they are very different things. The first one is the, the block-out timing on the box, on the scoring equipment. Um, we've been fencing since Athens 2004. We've been fencing with a uh, block-out time of 120 milliseconds. So that means if I hit you, after 120 milliseconds, your light will block out. So if you hit me, your light won't come on after 120 milliseconds. That's been uh, lengthened back out to 170 milliseconds. Yeah. So if I hit you, then it will take 170 milliseconds to stop your light coming on. Um, the main effects of that are um, if you're attacking then it's much more difficult for the defender to get an attack on preparation or a counter-attack. The attacker has a little bit more time to finish the attack. Um, It sort of remains to be seen at senior level how the the top referees are going to referee that. And the big question that the Sabreurs are asking is, if I'm going backwards and defending and my opponent's coming forwards and attacking, and I attack into their preparation and there are two lights on the box, will the referee give attack on preparation? So essentially, will they be looking at the time on the box or will they be looking at, if you like, classical fencing time? Yeah. And actually, that question remains to be answered. Right. Um, the experience thus far is that if you're going forward, pretty much like on the 120 millisecond block out, if you're going forward and you land your attack, regardless pretty much of what your arm or your hand is doing, um, then it's going to be given as the attack. That's the experience so far. But right. we, obviously, we've not had a senior World Cup yet. So yeah, that's right. It's still, still early in the season, so kind of um, more exactly. well, sort of domestic. And uh, has there been a junior Sabre? I think there's been one junior Sabre World Cup so far. Yeah, there's junior men's and women's last weekend. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, we've had some experience of the junior World Cup level but, uh, with some of the better referees, the more experienced and more if you like, highly ranked referees on the FI list. Um, and the experience so far is that it's, it's very much going to favour the attacker right. um, once you get out of the middle of the piece. Okay. The other effect, the other effect is that if you take a parry um, on the older 120 millisecond timing, a quick remise can block out the repost. Yeah. Whereas now you have a little bit more time to repost. So the idea of that is obviously to encourage people to take the risk of taking a parry post and try and make saber fencing look a bit more spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, that's, that was kind of my expectation of what would happen with uh, 
with the, the change in the blockade timing, I said it would encourage um, you know more more parry reports. Um, I hadn't really thought so much about uh, how how it would affect uh, attacks on preparation, but that's that's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of the first first thing that you brought up. I think for the better fences, by which I mean world level fences, the the parry repost timing doesn't really have a very significant effect. It will maybe change you know a few hits in a competition rather than a few hits in a fight right. um and i think it cancels out a few hits that some of the the really fast really powerful guys will score like the, the korean guys who yeah. are renowned as being the the most incredible athletes on the circuit um and they really kind of thrive on the, the big fast powerful step lunge in the middle against the power post and i wouldn't say forcing through but using speed over the technique um yeah in the middle of the piece. And I think that's that's kind of what the, the purpose of the introduction of this was. Um, and I'm not sure really that it's going to have as big an effect as, as was hoped for or was wanted. And in my personal opinion, actually, the biggest effect is the effect outside the middle of the piece where it's now much more difficult to stop someone who's doing a long attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have to either do a, a bit of a Hail Mary parry post at the end <laughs> of the piece or you have to have incredible control of distance and timing to score an attack on preparation or a stop cut right. so I think what we're looking at now is actually a lot more use of the line a lot more beat counter attacks or actions on the blade um, more stop cuts than we were seeing in the last few seasons I think that's what we're, we're likely to see okay. at the senior level right okay so that's rule change number one it is <laughs> tell us about the second one okay rule change number two which from the outside is actually a more drastic one is um for all of eternity, Sabreras have come on guard with their lead foot, their dominant foot, so the right foot for the right-handed fencer, behind the on-guard line. So the fencers start with their front foot four metres apart from their opponent. Um, as of immediately after the Rio Olympic Games, the rule was changed that the sabre fencers only, not applying to Fauna Lepe, I hasten to add, sabre fencers only will start with the rear foot on the on-guard line. So the rear foot will be four metres from the opponent's rear foot. Yeah. So that means effectively you're somewhere between, I would say, depending on how big and how wide your on guard is and how tall your fencer is, somewhere between two and a quarter to three metres apart, as opposed to four metres apart. Yeah. And there's a number of there's a number of things with this, one, a number of effects. One is that previously um, the on guard position was a fixed position. So however tall, short or wide your on guard position was, you were four metres apart. But now the, on, the distance between the fences is relative to the fences. So a bigger fencer with a wider stance is closer to you than a smaller fencer with a, a narrower stance. Yeah. So it completely changes every fight. The, the distance between the fences can change completely. So that's the first point to think to point out. And the second pretty obvious one is that you're closer together. <laughs> yeah. So you have less time to prepare your attack or prepare your defence. Um, and again, in some ways, you could say that it it slightly cancels out the advantage of being super athletic over being super technical because the super athletic fencer can cover ground faster, cover a bigger space faster. Mm. Um, and therefore, in theory, shortening the distance will slightly cancel out that athletic advantage. That's the theory. Yeah. And the theory is then the kind of the thought is then if you cancel out the athletic advantage slightly, what you then do is you push the advantage towards the technical action. So you, you again, will try and create an environment where you have more power pass and more blade actions, more variations. Now, again, we haven't had a senior World Cup event, so we actually have to wait to see what the real effect at the, high, the highest level is. But my, my experience of training with this now for on and off for four months and very, very solidly for two and a half months is that 
that effect actually doesn't exist. My personal opinion is we have a similar number or slightly more simultaneous actions in a pressure situation. Really? Oh, I'm surprised. And, yeah. and actually we have... They're slightly different simultaneous actions, which I'll explain in a minute, but, but actually we have probably a similar number of paraposts, but a slightly more limited range of actions because you have less time to prepare in the middle. Mm-hmm. So you have less variations. So, for instance, if I start behind the four-meter line, I'm four meters away, I need to maybe do a couple of steps before I execute my action. But now, if I do one step, I'm in hitting distance, yeah. so I have less reaction time. It's harder In some ways, it's harder to parry because I have less reaction time. So it becomes a lot more about guesswork, predicting your opponent's response to previous hits, predicting patterns in your opponent's fencing. So what the non-sabreurs would derogatorily call the rock-paper-scissors game... <laughs> Heaven forbid. Um, <laughs> To which I always reply, well, why is it that some people are better at rock, paper, scissors than others? But the rock, paper, scissors game is actually, to me, in my opinion, and again, it's only my opinion, is, is slightly magnified. Right. Um, so the, when I was saying about the simultaneous actions, we have slightly less actions where everybody, go, both fences go step lunge together. Yeah. But we have a lot more actions where both fences go step back and then step lunch together okay so, <laughs> so getting back to a position where they've been comfortable for the previous years oh yeah. really close to have to try and hit the other guy and then they both do a step lunch so actually the outcome of simultaneous <laughs> actions although it's not straight from the line then the, from stats that, that i've been doing at and i did this in a training camp in italy with some some of the best russian and italian juniors and some of our fences from from truro and a lot of fences from other countries um, and we, there was a, a, there were a couple of training competitions there, and I was counting up simultaneous actions, comparing them to similar kind of, if you like, training camp competitions where we'd kept some stats before. And the number was either pretty much identical or in some scenarios slightly higher in terms of actions that were not resulting in a hit. So not step lunch together, but step out and then back in mm. together. So that, that, that's the situation. Those are the rules. Right. What the effect at the top level is with the very best fences remains to be seen. Now, of course, these uh, these rule changes are provisional only. I believe they're going to run to uh, the end of the calendar year, so kind of halfway through the season. And then if the FI like what they've seen up to that point, then it will continue for the rest of the season and be adopted as a, a permanent rule change um, in the summer. Yeah, just to clarify, the box timing change, the scoring change is a permanent change. Right, OK. So I would imagine that's going to run at least for the Olympic cycle to Tokyo. So I don't think unless... For, you know, there's some kind of disaster with it, which I can't really visualise what that would be, and mm. they felt they had to change it halfway through the cycle. That's likely to run to at least Tokyo and probably beyond. Right. The distance change, the on guard line change, is a is a test, if you like. Yeah. My my opinion is that the the mistake that's been made is to actually make both changes at the same time. Right. Because yeah. any any statistics that you can garner from you know forthcoming events, it's, it's going to be very difficult to quantify which actions are affected by distance and which are affected by time yeah and obviously both are going to be some you know different proportions affected by different rule changes for me it would be much more sensible to change one see if it works and Mm. then if you think you need to augment the change then change the other one because then it's much much more scientific it's a much more scientific approach you can have much more sensible statistics based on what actions are caused by time the timing what actions are caused by the distance yeah so to actually make the two drastic changes at once in my opinion it's going to make it very difficult to quantify are we making fencing better worse or yeah just it does, does cloud it doesn't it yeah yeah, I can yeah. see that. So who, who, who's going to benefit from these these changes? Let's let's assume that uh, we get to Christmas and the FIE FI go, yeah, great, we're happy with the the change in the in the distance, um, and we're going to going to carry on with that. 
so who what type of fencer is likely to, to benefit most from, from what you said so far suggests a more technical fencer and that the the premium on athleticism is going to be slightly slightly reduced um, well I think I think that's what the aim was now whether that's the outcome I'm not sure it's going to be the case I think the aim of the the FIE you know driven by the kind of the, the Russian uh, preference for the technical action mm-hmm. I think the aim is to create more pariposs and a wider var- variety of actions and to slightly cancel out the increasing power and athleticism in the sport. But whether that is the outcome is another question. And my view of the short distance is that actually the big, strong, powerful guy can reach just with a lunge from the on-guard line. Yeah. So I think you might see two extremes of fences developing if the, if the rule change sticks. You might see an extreme end of a smaller, kind of wiry, technical guy who likes to play on the line and do lots of different tricks and preparations and the big, strong kind of bruiser who's, you know, six foot six, six foot eight guy yeah. who just likes to smash it through from short distance. So I think you're going to, you're going to see these kind of two, you know, a bit, yeah, a bit like kind of opposite H.G. Kind of Wellesian, yeah. you know, the ones that dwell <laughs> underground and the ones that live above ground kind of scenario where the species will diverge slightly. Um, the, I think the athleticism outside the middle of the piece is slightly cancelled out because you can take more time with the attack. You don't need have a big reach you don't need to have a lot of speed on the attack because you have more time to finish so I think the aim of cancelling out that you know that super fast super springy lunge or step lunge that the Korean guys have developed um, I think that will probably be achieved Um, and I think what we'll see is a lot more cautious attacking because there's no need to commit with your attack because Mm -hmm. getting the chance of getting on preparation is much lower so you may as well just push 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 to the end of the piece and then finish your attack and do lots and lots of feints try and draw the parry and then hit the open line. Sounds so, like foil. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm worrying about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've just taken my level three tiddlywinks coaching um, qualification just in case. Yeah, <laughs> best have a sports, best yeah. of a backup plan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how it develops at the top level. But I, I think if you look at the guys who've got supreme technique and awareness in the middle of the piece, like you, the kind of Salagis and the Kovalevs, those type of fences. Yeah who use a lot of blade actions, parry-pos, change of preparation, and having you know that, that kind of feeling of exactly what's going to happen next in the fight. I think they will survive and because they have that supreme you know, technical ability. Um, and I think whatever the, whatever the rule change that's thrown at them, fences of that calibre will thrive and survive and find ways to win. I think it's the sort of, you know, I won't call it second division, but the, the next level down guys, maybe outside the top eight, top 12 in the world, Right. Who will have to find ways to adapt a lot more? Hmm. Um, so now you, you, you know, mentioned you mentioned the Koreans uh, a couple of times when, in reference to to both rule yeah. changes who um, who have benefited from the you know, the previous rules and who might be affected. So, do you think the Koreans and I'm trying to think perhaps the Germans, uh, some of the sort of physical style, uh, might be looking at yeah. these rule changes with a, you know a fair a fair degree of nerves how it's going to going to work for them? Well. I would say that the Koreans are probably ahead of the game already because, you know, their their system is incredible. They have an enormous volume of athletes and they've built this reputation from the sort of timing change of being really fast, really strong and powerful and, you know, having brutal physical training regimes that made them into incredible athletes. Mm -hmm. But actually the reality is over the, the sort of 2010 to now period, they've also developed really high level technical fencing skills as well. And, you know, they didn't win the, the team gold in London by accident. It was, and it wasn't just based on doing a massive step lunge. You know, they've, their, their kind of outgoing generation, Zhonghan Kim and Gubon Gil, those guys 
as well as having the athletic capability, also have world-class technical skills. Their new generation of guys, I believe, are even better. And, you know, their technical skills are as good as anyone else in the world. And I think they will adapt and they will find ways to adapt. But there may be a sort of watershed where their results aren't. Yeah, yeah, maybe for a season, season and a half, if the rule change sticks. Mm. With also their older generation possibly drifting out of the team and the new generation coming in, there may be a little um, changeover period. But I think they are, you know, they're... Yeah, they, they, they know exactly yeah. what they're doing. They'll adapt to it. Yeah. Okay. So, well, this is part of our kind of season preview um, episode for us. So, uh, with with the new new rule changes and uh, you know post Olympics, uh, you quite often get fencers uh, either retiring or you know taking a bit of time off, yeah. and uh, a new new generation of fencers uh, pushing for a place in their national teams. Um, who who should we keep our eye on as uh, as non sabrers to be the, the stars of the sabre world? I think there's some obvious ones, I think you, and you're right as well. Obviously, post Olympics, there's there's normally a little uh, little group of fencers that disappear off the scene, and I think. It remains to be seen exactly who's going to retire, who's going to just take a, a short break, or who's going to take an extended break. But I think the likelihood is we won't see Montano, Kovalev, um, Kutsi, Yakimenko in Tokyo. I think you know, we may see them for another season or season and a half, two seasons. But I think they're going to be moving back from their team, their team of four, the national team of four. Yeah. Maybe some of them, for various reasons, might do another season or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I feel, feel so it, does, it, it does tend to leave a little gap to be filled, which is when you know we see the quite exciting group of new young fencers coming through. Yeah. Um, my opinion is that it would be very interesting to see how Silagi reacts to being second second time in a row. Yeah, double champion. Olympic champion. Been done, I believe it's been done by five people now in right. Ben Saber. Um, no one's ever won three in a row, so yeah. obviously he has. And he's still to young as well. I mean, he's only what twenty six or something. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is no reason why he can't do two more Olympic games. Yeah, possibly three. You know, but I, I would imagine, I would imagine, if he went to Tokyo and won gold, that would probably be enough for him. Anything more than that would be greedy, <laughs> surely. He may, well, he may well have some job offers in Hungary if he does that. So. Yeah, I would have thought so. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how he reacts to that, and you know. The, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he had a drop off in results over the next twelve to eighteen months because you know he's got that kind of post Olympic take out a bit of time, a bit of downtime, maybe review a few things if the rule change sticks and mm. how he used to fence and start to build up again for the next cycle. I suppose you can afford to do that. It's kind of from a position, yeah, position well, of strength, much easier to do yeah. when you've when you've got your your second Olympic gold than uh, you know if you've had a a, a duff day in Rio and uh, you know come away with nothing. You might feel more yeah, of that need to get straight back into it. I mean, I know he's. Still, like he's back in training um, as of today because uh, one of the guys I coach is actually over there in Hungary training with him today. And you know, he's it's not that he's not training and he's dreaming of stopping in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll see him around in this season, but it'll be interesting to see how he how he bounces back from that. You know, you, you have that kind of moment of glory and then the little kind of adrenaline crash afterwards. Yeah. And see what happens. Um, there's a couple of people I would really look out for this season. One is, he's at the moment, he's only just top 25 in the world. Um, young Korean guy called Sanguk Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 20 years old. Um, he's already made, I think, three last eights at World Cups. He made a last eight um, as a 19-year-old <laughs> last a year ago. Um, this season he made two last eights. I think he made top four, top eight of the Asian uh, championships. But he is just the real deal. He's, a, he's not only a big, strong fantastic athlete kind of on the Gubon Gill sort of build but he's also got an incredible range of actions control of distance footwork the whole the whole package and I think he's going to go on in the next cycle to be one of the the very best sabers in the world 
Right. So I would say look out for this guy Sangoko. I think he's he's a real deal. Okay, that's um, a name for me to note down. Two, two other guys I would look out for are the two Americans who've really climbed the rankings in the last cycle, and that's uh, Homer and Dershowitz. Dershowitz yeah. only 21, 22, just still a very, very young guy. Um, I think with his style of fencing, he's a relatively, he's quite con- kind of a conservative fencer, which is not in any way derogatory, mm-hmm. but he knows when to take risks, and a lot of the time he's, he's very good at not giving anything away. You know, he, he makes almost no mistakes, mm-hmm. and when he has the attack, he usually finishes it, and when he's in control in the middle of the piece, he keeps control, and when he's defending, he gets his distance right, and he's just you know, a really solid guy with inc- for, a, for a 22-year-old, the temperament of a, I don't know, somebody, when, once you've retired, you kind of think, oh, I wish I'd had that temperament <laughs> yeah. when I was 25, you know, I wish I felt as calm as I do now, 10 years ago, and I might have been a good fencer, yeah. but he's, yeah, he, he's just got that temperament at the age of 22. Um and obviously Homer, who, you know, meddling in Rio is going to be a huge step up for him. Yeah. He meddled yeah. at the Worlds, now he's meddled in Rio. And, you know, it's, it, Homer is a very complete fencer. And he's one of those guys that he's very good to watch because he's never scared to take a risk. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we did pick him as our coolest fencer on the planet, uh, simply because well, yeah. of his uh, sheer nerve at 14 all in the semi-final in Rio uh, to... Jump in, stop and take the parry repost, which, you know, not much takes my breath away in fencing, but that was, that was one of those moments that went, wow. <laughs> but also, for those that know Homer, that was just not a surprise, because he did the same thing at the World Championships to get into the medals at the Worlds. Right. He did a jump second parry against um, Donald Cheney, the Romanian, to make a medal at the Worlds. Um, and he's one of those guys who will take that big risk at 14 or, or mm. at a key moment in a fight, not necessarily 14 or, but a moment when you feel it's a this this hit could decide you know where the momentum is in the fight. And yeah. He will take that risk, and it's, he's one of those guys as well that will take the risk. And if it doesn't pay off, you know he'll walk away and, and still try it again next time. And yeah. I've seen it not pay off as well. And people go, "Why the hell did he do that for you?" That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, look, well, look actually, all the other times. Yeah. If he'd done that, you'd have you'd have said he was a genius if he pulled that off. So, and he's not scared to do that. Right. Um, so I think he's going to be a, one of the, those two American guys and uh, Sangoko. They're going to be three of the guys to watch, I think, over the, the coming season. Um, okay. And looking from a, a kind of uh, a jingoistic British perspective, yep, let's have it. Um, I, th- I think we've got some good young fences coming through. And you know, I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely unbiased in my views on. No, of course, that's, are, that's right. yeah. <laughs> as, as a sabre coach with you know vested interests, but um, obviously our top guy is James Honeybone. Um, He's uh, a year younger than Hope, so he's now 25. Mm-hmm. He's training full-time over in Hungary with Silagi and the Hungarian squad. Um, he had a breakthrough result last season. He made the last 16 in the Grand Prix, beat the world number two. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see it, but I followed it online, actually. It was one of those ones where you know, I picked up in a Sabre event, good things happening, and yeah, some a couple, couple of big wins there, and as you say, beat yeah, the world number two in the way. Yeah. And he missed out on the last eight just by two hits, losing to a cutsy by two hits. And I think... The thing with James is he's now he's now had a year over in Hungary training with really top class fencers, and I think all he needs all he needs to do is develop the consistency, and he could be uh, could be picking you know regular top class results. Um, and two others to watch are Will Deary, who's a final year junior. Um, he's already scored a sixty four at senior level, but I think this season he could be very consistent in the second day at senior level, and he could be consistent in the medals at junior World Cup level. Right. And will we, will we do a full season of both junior and senior, or will it be main focus on juniors with a, with a, a few senior events thrown in? Or I think he'll be more um, more pushed towards 
uh, if you like, the senior senior circuit as it's really, he's a two year twenty twenty centre, so he's really going to start to build his senior experience. Yeah, he'll do probably four junior World Cups, I would imagine, and then most of the senior events. Um, and I think he's you know he's good enough to to pick up medals in those junior events. And then at, at senior level, we've also got uh, JJ Webb, who's made sixty fours in the last year, and also very strong developing athlete, first year senior. Uh, and at junior level, Josh Maxwell, who's the number two junior, who last season he only made last thirty two standard, but he's really improved a lot again over the last year. So I think we've got good prospects there. Two or three guys at senior level, a couple of guys at junior level, who could move things forward for, for British Sabre which yeah. is really nice to yeah see. same times absolutely uh, and on the women's side yeah it's a similar story really because we've got again it's a, almost a wait and see as to who's going to still be here from the top ranks in the next year or two mm-hmm. and I mean I think the obvious one that's likely to, to knock it on the head is Velikaya um, uh, and also the, the story is um, from lots of reliable sources that Carlan is retiring and her husband Boyko is now working in the US as a coach and the story is that she's retiring moving to the US right. they're going to start a family um, whether that happens obviously I'm still remains to be seen but that's the story that's on the circuit okay. uh, I think Zagunis is carrying on certainly for a season or two but the story again is she's going to try another cycle right. uh, and she's never anyone you can rule out she's you know her, her level of experience and her winning mentality are are pretty much incomparable. So yeah, I mean, it didn't didn't really happen for for Rio, and I, I think I sort of speculated in the, the last podcast that perhaps she'd been overtaken a little by the by the Russians and Carlin, and you know, it was perhaps hanging on, which was maybe a bit harsh. But um, mm. you know, that's I think it's harsh if you look at her record over the last couple of years. I think hanging on is maybe an exaggeration. I mean, I think she set a standard. She set a gold standard. You know, I'm like, actually, that's quite a good phrase. She said, "Gold standard, <laughs> in, uh, 2004, 2008." Yeah, which everyone aspired to, and she was she she had an aura of invincibility that I've never seen before in fencing. That she would walk on the piste and the match would be over, you know, before she'd even started. Yeah, because I mean, she was absolutely dominant. You know, Kasara yeah. went through a period like that in men's spoil. I think yeah. um, Salagi went through a period like that, and Poznikov back in the day, in my yeah. day, went through that period. But I think she had a longer and more dominant period of. Opening women's fencing than I've ever seen Um, and I think it's very hard to rule somebody like that out with that level of experience but I think I think there are a lot more women's sabre you know is still a relatively young sport at world level but now there are a lot more world class fencers out there than there were 10 years ago so of course it's a bigger challenge for someone like that but it's not to say she's not going to rise to it and I think the exciting thing in women's sabre is there are so many good young fencers coming through because we now have the sort of second, third generation of women sabreurs who've trained from a very young age purely in sabre. Um, whereas in the early days, a lot of people were converts from other weapons or started were late starters in the yeah. sport. We've now got, you know, we're into the, maybe the third generation of women sabreurs who've yeah, started so from it's, a, it's a mature, a mature sport now. Yeah, Sorry, it's, it's a mature sport now, I think, rather than you know something yeah, that's in infancy and still absolutely. finding its feet. Yeah, yeah, and so we, you know, we look across the countries in you know Hungary and France again in Korea and again obviously Russia and Italy. All those countries have got fantastic fences coming through, and I think Marton is one to watch over the next cycle. Um, Hungarian, Hungarian Anna yeah. Marton, twenty-one years old. Um, she was disappointed, I think, with her Olympic performance, but she's a she's always been a technically brilliant fencer and a tactically brilliant fencer but her weakness was always she had 
quite a weak attack and she wasn't so strong outside the middle of the piece. Right. And she's worked and worked and worked on that. You know, she's, she's improved it enormously. She's kept that fantastic technique and kind of tactical brain that she's got and she's starting to add the, the long attack um, to it. And I think actually the new timing will help her mm. fencing because she can still create her actions in the middle of the piece to the defence. And she's fa- she's probably got the best line in the world in Women's Sabre and that will be very useful in the new timing. Yeah. Um, and she won't have to be quite so physical on the long attack so actually she may well benefit from the new timing right yeah it's sort of a face that's made made for the new timings or the new timings made for her yeah absolutely and it's you can't you can't pass over Gregorian she's Olympic champion she's 22 yeah I was going to say she's pretty young isn't she and she's not in a bad bad position right now to be pushing on and and being relatively successful over the next cycle so I think Gregorian Marton and then obviously Brunei who uh, came fourth kind of quite tragically really in, in uh, yes um, yeah I, I thought so certainly but again that's one of the, the things that attracted a bit of comment from uh, from our first uh, podcast but uh, yeah uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that yeah I mean she's she's a, a great talent she's already made some good really good senior results as a 20 year old she's only just out of juniors um, and she can only develop and get better and I think will become one of I mean she's already one of the top fans in the world but will become you know a truly top class performer and there's actually, there's a Korean lucky now they're called Seo, who's still quite young, 23, who I think of the Korean women fencers is probably the best all round in terms of technique, tactics, ability to move around in all areas of the piece. And I think she's, of the women Korean fencers, the one that's best equipped to deal with the timing distance changes. Uh, and looking at juniors in women's, because you tend to find in women's favour certainly that we've had some very successful young fencers. Uh, who been successful at senior level and yeah, very early. now I think and Carolee the, the French girl who's I think 18 still she's right. got at least one more junior year yeah I think she's got this year and one more she only just missed out on her spot in Rio um, yeah, she's made some so. decent senior results and I think it's going to be towards the end of this cycle and will be a big performer I think so there's, there's some names to look out for there. Yeah, oh, great. Well, that's, uh, I mean, certainly some of those I've heard of before, uh, a few that I hadn't. So um, th- thanks for the pointers. I'll be able to, to head into the new, uh, new Sabre season with uh, a bit more information, a little more knowledge than I had, um, well, just about uh, half an hour ago. Um, You're very welcome. <laughs> so, John, um, that's, that's about all my questions for the moment. Thanks very much indeed for um, coming on to, to talk to me and uh, giving us your, your expert opinion um, on... Uh, the dark side of fencing as we'd like to refer to it on the fencing podcast um, and I wish you and, and all your guys a, a really successful season and hopefully I'll speak to you again before too long thanks John good to speak to you thank you well there we go that was a, 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 another another good interview from John there yeah certainly somebody who very thoroughly knows his stuff he there. does he uh, does I mean I thought I was quite nerdy on, on fencing uh, but John manages to be even nerdier, but in a way that's actually sort of um, charming and charismatic as mm-hmm. well, which sadly I, I can't quite manage. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully we'll, I found it a really interesting interview. Um, yeah, it's some inter- it's interesting. Interesting to hear someone who actually is deeply involved in sabre talking about how these rules are likely to to affect the sport and his experience of having tried it out. Yeah, you know. So I think it's that that that's something that obviously we we've, we've not done. I still. I have to say that I think that the you know that the the, the on guard change in particular is something I'm not a fan of. If I'm honest with you, I, I'm not convinced after li- even after listening to John, I'm still not convinced. But uh, we've been here before with major environment changes it happened in foil, and uh, I think I was only lukewarm when that change happened. Mm-hmm. I think because at the end of that's at the end of the really flicky feet period of uh, of uh, of foil, and I was lukewarm to the change, 
But once the change is shaken out, I'm actually becoming a bit of a fan of what they changed. So I'm kind of hoping that my reluctance to embrace the, uh, well, it's been dubbed the Russian box of death, but, uh, you know, my reluctance to sort of indulge that is going to be wrong, hopefully, and we'll see something interesting coming out of Sabre as a result. Um, so we get, what, is it half a year? Um, up to the end of the calendar year, yeah. they're, they're trialling it, and mm-hmm. if they like what they see at that point, yep. they'll continue for the rest of the season and become a permanent rule change mm-hmm. um, at the end of the season. Yeah, I still think they have issues to address their height difference in the Sabreurs. Uh, the the impact, I think the impact of uh, left versus right, for example, I think that's been overstated, if I'm honest, because I think once you get into the training, uh, you know, if, if you're a coach and you're looking at the environment that these fences are going into, you're going to find ways to sort of mitigate the risk of injury, I think, because you just don't want that to happen to your yeah, you start a player on the on the field there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, interesting times in Sabre. Yeah, very interesting. The the the, the timing change is the other interesting one, which we haven't really talked about this time around because um, that's the one that's been overshadowed by the the on guard change and no one's really talking about how big a change this timing rule is going to have. Yeah, I mean John John covers it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, he does. He um, does. And I, th- I would be loath to uh, to offer too much of an opinion, oh, inexpert opinion. Yes. Uh, and I think I think the best we can say and wait John, John seems to pretty much acknowledge this that so we wait and see how it pans yeah. out. Um, as I say, it's uh, the the on guard line one is a is a trial. It is a trial, and we'll, and we'll mm-hmm. see how it, see how it all pans out. Yeah, um, so that pretty much uh, wraps us up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back again once we have a few senior World Cups uh, to to talk about. Yeah, we hope you've enjoyed it again. Uh, we'll hope you hope you will offer us more feedback and tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, get in touch and let us know what uh, uh, what you thought, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll hopefully uh, see you again. Um, yes, probably about a month, I would think. I think about a month. So don't forget to uh, to like us on Facebook. If you like us, uh, and leave positive comments on the iTunes channel, that would be fantastic as well. And obviously, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're Fencing Podcast on Twitter. And you can also email us at thefencingpodcast at uh, gmail.com. Thanks very much. Bye. Well, now that Gaz left the room, um, you probably have noticed that we haven't mentioned anything about coolest fencer on the planet. And uh, the reason I've waited until now is because I'm quite keen to avoid the debate with Gav about whether Max Heinzer is cool or not. Um, so instead, what I've done is I've drawn up a, a list of, uh, a short list anyway, for uh, coolest fencer on the planet. Uh, and on our list this time, well, my list really, um, and just to avoid Gav you know, turning into a crazed fanboy again, uh, we've got um, our interviewee, uh, Pierce Gilliver. Uh, cool because he's got Paralympic silver medal um, cool because he did a nice interview for us uh, but mostly cool because while everybody's waiting around for the, the final of the uh, the men's epi at the Paralympics to start everyone's all looking very tense and nervous and uh, uptight about things and Piers has managed to, managed to look cool and relaxed and giving it plenty of big smiles so cool for that so he gets my nomination there um, next uh, Rayson Bowden uh, He's cool because he was too cool to respond to our request, our request for an interview. So that's that's pretty cool, but probably isn't going to quite earn him the top spot. Um, and our third one, uh, if we leave Max Heinzer out of things, uh, is Italian foilist Ariana Arrigo. Now she's pretty cool at the best of times, didn't have a great Olympics, but came back from Rio, had a few days off, and almost immediately straight back into training. And that kind of dedication is cool. So three strong contenders there. Uh, four of you count Max. Uh, but then today, we get the announcement uh, by Irigo that uh, she's going to try and qualify for the Olympics in Tokyo at foil. No great news there, I wouldn't have thought. But Sabre as well. 
Now that is a really big statement. Uh, since the introduction of, well, first women's EPI uh, and then women's sabre into the Olympic programme, um, I can't think of anybody who's qualified it at more than one weapon. And if you managed to do that in a team as strong as Italy, that would be absolutely phenomenal. And I think it'll be really interesting to see if she manages to achieve it. So for that, Ariana Arrigo is our coolest fencer on the planet. Right, better go now before Gav gets back. <laughs> 